This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, very, very happy to have this man uh, join me on the podcast. I've been trying to track him down and been watching his incredible coverage of uh, the election chaos and the aftermath that's been going on the last uh, couple of months and watched him for many years uh, when he hosted Meet the Press and when he worked for NBC. Now, of course, he covers all things political for CNN. Uh, the one and only David Greger. And we first ran into each other, David, years back when I was doing the sports on the Imus in the Morning program and you were right. sort of a regular contributor to the program. So I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Hey, it's my pleasure. You know, I've been following you too, beyond tennis. You're such a great broadcaster. And, uh, you know, you, you bring the tennis world into my life, which I love. Well, I want to I want to talk to you about that, about your your interest in tennis and how much or how little it played in your upbringing. But I first just want to get your thoughts because I I really enjoyed watching you as, as I texted you when I was trying to track you down to set this up. Um, I said, you know, you're you always come on and you're sort of the voice of of calm and reason, you know, through all this last uh, couple of months. So what what's your just your overall take on where we're at now and sort of where we're going in the next four to six weeks? Well, I think we're coming down off of a, a kind of a cliff, you know, where there there was so much heaviness and toxicity associated with Trump's, <coughs> excuse me, his term in office, and uh, it's very much about who he is and, and who he who he is politically, and um, you know, he, he's uh, he's a consequential but a divisive force, obviously, and I think, you know, I appreciate your feedback. You know, I, I think the media is also so divided and the, the temperature is so hot in the media um, because the interest level is so high. But it's not just people interested in the news and politics. There's a fever and there's an argument and we're very much divided and at each other's throats. And that gets in the way of so much understanding. I think we really lost an ability to see each other um, and to listen to each other. And so, I don't know, I try to reflect that. I'm not trying to go on TV and, um, you know, just be overwhelming with my opinion. I just try to offer some perspective. And and how much has that changed? I mean, since you, you know, I know you started your career when you were a teenager being on TV and obviously you got a big break early, you know, in your early 20s, you're basically covering uh, the Bush, Bush and the White House uh, pretty at a pretty young age. So how, how and why has it changed so much to where literally I can, I can turn on CNN as I often do. I can turn on MSNBC. I go to Fox just, you know, because I want to see what they're saying too. And it's just amazing how the stories are so different. How has that happened in these last, I don't know, you tell me, has it been 10 years, 15, 20 years? How has it evolved? You've been there through this whole evolution. I think it really, um, I think it goes back to the late 90s. Uh, I think it predates that as well, but I think what we're seeing is um, the acceleration of more uh, uh, media. The media business is catering to much more niche audiences, and there's a lot less um, tolerance in the audience for people who try to position themselves as independent. Uh, there's very little trust in the traditional news media, 
Um, so, you know, you want your viewpoint validated at what you consider to be the truth. And that's the real problem we have, and media is part of this, where we don't have an agreement about basic facts and what the basic truth is. And Trump has exploited that because what he's been able to do is usher in an era where telling the truth doesn't matter. It's just persuading your base of support about what you think matters. Uh, he wasn't the first, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he was out there you know, pr- promoting this, but Sarah Palin was, was an early uh, progenitor of this point of view. So that's the news business part. And I don't want to forget your question from a minute ago about kind of where we're going. I think we're headed into a, a more normal time. I'm not saying the polarization's gone. It's still a very divisive time. Media is not changing. But Biden is going to calm things down. Um, Trump's going to be out there. Um, but he's going to be, a, I think, a slower burning ember. And, and there's a lot about the Republican Party we can talk about. But I think that four to six weeks is going to be super focused on the vaccine rollout and dealing with the worst of the virus here over the winter, but the political temperature is going to come down. Now, what do you say, David, to the following? If I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a Fox News follower or Newsmax, whatever's a, you know, the, the next thing to come along, um, and I say, ah, David Gregory, he's just another lib. You know, he's a smart guy. He's well-educated. He's on CNN or used to be on NBC, and they all have right. an agenda. So what's, what's the what's – the, because – I mean, that's that's what I hear, even from people that are pretty well-educated friends of mine will say, ah, that's right. all that's all a left-wing <clears throat> agenda and and big media. And now the now the tech world, you know, whether it's Google or whether it's Twitter, you know, flagging uh, Trump's tweets uh, and so on. They're all they're all in it together. What's the answer to that? What's your answer? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the answer is it's not true that they're in, in it together. And, and, and the tech revolution has only helped to um, amplify the conservative voice. Um, you know, see Donald Trump. Is there anyone who's taken better advantage of the, the social media and tech platforms that have been uh, invented than him? The left hadn't done as well as he has. So th- those arguments break down, but it's not as important to refute the argument as to, to deal with the question. And the reality is that we have communities that are pitted against each other. CNN is a community. There's a community of thought there that tends to be very anti-Trump. Um, and it, but to be fair, it is holding him accountable. So there's good journalism there, but there's definitely a point of view. Um, MSNBC has a point of view. Fox has a point of view. Um, and within those landscapes are individuals who try to, um, you know, to differentiate. Um, I try to differentiate a bit. Um, and, and, you know, a Brett Bear on Fox News is mm-hmm. trying to differentiate and have more of an independent line. But there's really no answering that. I mean, you know, I, I have those debates with folks all the time. And what, what you have is confirmation bias. What I invite people to do is to challenge themselves and try to see other people and hear other people. Because um, there's lots of ways to confirm your bias. Um, but that's not, you're not learning, you're not expanding. And so I often say to liberals and you know, I live in Washington, DC, which is a total left-wing bubble, 90, went 95% for Biden. So I, I understand that. So I'm not looking to my neighbors for, for a sense of the country. <laughs> right. I know what I'm getting, right. but, um, but, but, but I'm trying to, uh, 
but, but I'm trying to learn something. And I think a lot of liberals I know, they can't even imagine how somebody could vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. They, like they, they don't get that. And, and that's a view I don't understand, which is I understand perfectly well why, pe- why people have voted for Trump. Um, you know, not everybody, but I understand a lot of my conservative friends, Republican friends. Like I know where people are coming from and, who are and, supporting and, him. And where do you learn that from, David? Because I'd like to learn it myself. Where do you, where do you I really go? Think it's, yeah. I mean, it's conversation. I think mm-hmm. it's, first of all, it's paying attention to what, the, what Trump is telling us. And I don't mean literally. It's where did Trump come from and why was that even possible? You know, Barack Obama's memoir is actually instructive on that point because of his own experience. Um, you know, the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which is more establishment conservative, tells you something about, um, you know, where he's coming from. You know, Trump was a guy who was, was dealing with grievance. He was telling racist lies about Obama, you know, the whole birtherism nonsense. But then he was also appointing conservative Supreme Court justices, lowering taxes, uh, getting rid of regulations. He was speaking to the economic and social conservatives of the Republican Party and saying, I'm going to do right by you. And then he, he's turning around and blaming Mexicans for being rapists and endangering the country, you know, which is crap. Um, but there's enough people out there who are like, yeah, our, our, our immigration system sucks. Like, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, he's right. You know, I mean, I, I can't. You know, I can't seem to get myself going here. You know, you play into Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, that deals with this, which is this kind of dominant cast um, uh, vulnerability, the idea that, you know, basically white guys are endangered now and are in a lot of trouble, or working class whites, you know, are endangered because there's so many minorities. This mythology is what, uh, is what Trump preyed upon as a demagogic figure, not just a, a politician, but somebody who just presses on our fears. So to answer your question, I think you learn, I mean, I think you read, I think there's got to be diversity of what you're reading and really hearing people. You know, my, my oldest son plays travel basketball, so I remember being at a bar at, at the Foxborough Mass and having a great conversation with a couple at the bar about, you know, their support for Trump. Like, those were learning moments mm-hmm. for me. Those were not opportunities for me to say, let me tell you why you guys just don't get it. Well, you're you're six five, so I know you got some hoops background because I remember you talking <laughs> about that. What about your ten, t- tell me a little bit about your tennis background, if there is any? Yeah, I mean, so I've been a huge tennis fan and player. So my dad played tennis, and um, so I played with him when I was you know really young. And I had I had dreams of playing you know competitively. I tried to play in high school and. You know, I wasn't quite good enough, and I didn't quite have the mental toughness in the head to be a great competitor, but I had good strokes. I mean, tall and lanky, so I had to learn on that, but I've been a much better adult player mm. than I was as a kid Okay. because I just think I'm a little bit more mature, and I really love learning, and um, and I play, I mean, I play well. I hit the ball well, and I, I, still, I still struggle at being a competitor. Um, but I love to work out hard and now I'm 50. So, you know, I've, I've got aches and pains and injuries that I have to weave around. But the interesting part about my dad is, so I grew up in Los Angeles right. in the seventies and, you know, kind of a golden age, Ten- right? Tennis and, uh, I mean, that's where so many great tennis players came out of Southern Cal and still do. Right. And, yeah. and right. And so, you know, you had Connors out there who I used to go watch at the, uh, at the LA open, um, mm-hmm. Uh, which, and you, well, you're how, are you older than me a little bit, right? I'm a little up 54. Yeah. 
And, okay. And so my you, brother, so my brother's playing, early 60s. Yeah, Connors is a little right, bit older. So, yeah. But you were playing uh, when your brother was playing, right? I mean, like so, at the tail end of his career. So I was, but I played, I played at Stanford. And so we would play UCLA right. and USC every year and make that trip. And uh, I spent a bit of time in, in Southern Cal. My brother still has a place out there. So I would go and stay with him when I was on the tour. This was like late 80s through the 90s. Okay. Right. And so, so anyway, so I, I was, you know, I was a huge fan. I mean, watching your brother and Borg, I mean, you know, those were, those were formative times. And, um, but my dad was always leaning on me. He's like, son, you have to have a good tennis game. So it'll help you in your career. Oh, really? Now, okay. so my dad, my dad was like, he pushed me, like he was very into me becoming and going into TV news. But before that, my dad was a, an agent in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Then he was a, a Broadway producer. And so in that era, people, I mean, I think people would find this funny. In that era, it was a thing, especially in L.A., where you, if you had a tennis court, people would drop by. And I think your brother did this. Maybe you did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so guys like Ed Ames, the actor and sure. singer, w- was a very good player. And he and like so producers would have people come over and guys like Connors and your brother would, would drop by maybe. But the point is, that if, if, if you had a good game, you might be invited in right. to you know, into those settings. Now, what's funny to me about that is that, I, I mean, you mentioned Zucker, you know, my boss at CNN, um, which ironically, I've never played tennis with him, but I know he's, he's, he's a, a solid fan. player. Yeah, I play. I, play yeah, I know he is. Yeah. I know he is. Um, but, you know, in, in my time, like, it's just been so overtaken by golf. I remember mm-hmm. Bob Wright, who used to be the chairman of NBC, told me a funny story. He said, you know, we all used to play tennis a ton, but then at a certain point, it's like, <laughs> two hours and you're so spent physically right. like you could do golf for six hours yeah golf t- takes up a lot more time and not uh you know i always call golf maybe the most difficult game but is it a sport you know because you don't have to run obviously they're t- amazing athletes in their own way golfers but it's a little it's a little bit of a different vibe i want to ask you about because you, you you said something that caught my attention about your dad that he wanted you to get into television and obviously that was something that uh you know, got you got you going early and as a, as a teenager, and you got into the business, as I said, pretty pretty young. But when you when you you know when I look back at your career and I saw the ups and downs, you know, the great run, you right. had to meet the press, and that didn't end the way you know you wanted it to. But right. I sort of always look at great journalists because part of me is like, okay, you got to be a great journalist. You got to be smart. You got to study. You got to know the ropes. And then there's a little bit of that. You got, you kind of got to be a star too, right? So it's like, how do you balance that? Cause when you look at, you know, the big contracts that the big TV journalists get and, and sort of, I'm just wondering from you as someone who's been through it in every way, shape or form, how do you sort of balance that desire to be a journalist? Right. And then also the desire to sort of to what comes with it, which is to be a star, right? To be a sort of a celebrity as well. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what I, what I would tell my younger self, I was very much in a hurry. And I think, um, I, that both helped me and hurt me. Right. So I had some rough edges cause I was so young and ambitious and succeeding young and I didn't have as much perspective as I have now. And so I, I think, um, th- there is that rush, you know, because one can follow the other a little bit, but I also, you know, I got a, a little bit shiny and I also was in a position where I was succeeding Tim Russert and it was meet the press. So I became something of a target, you know, and I don't right. blame myself for, you know, the fact that there was political infighting and there were people who were leaking and, and doing that kind of shit. But, 
you know, I, I do understand that if, if I had been a, a little bit more of a team player, if I had had a little bit less brashness, um, I could have, uh, you know, played a longer game and maybe I wouldn't have been as much of a target. Um, so I, I think the answer is to, you know, to really work on developing your voice and, and, and just keeping your head down. My, my wife, who's a great lawyer, um, who, you know, who used to be a Paul Weiss with your dad. Right. Uh, years oh, yeah. Ago I didn't know that. I knew, she, I knew she was a really successful attorney. I didn't realize she was at Paul Weiss. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She was. Yeah. And then she went off and started her own firm uh, about four years ago. So, yeah, it's been great. But, you know, she would always say, like, you know, keep your head down. Just you mm-hmm. know, work hard. And, I, you know, I was coming up so, so fast and young. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's part of it. Like, I mean, I think about your own career, if I may be so presumptuous sure. to say. And it's like, you know, you, you have a voice, right? So I'm learning from you. I'm a tennis fan, but you've developed a voice and a presence. And, you know, and yeah, you've got a, a very prominent uh, older brother. Um, so you understand what it's like to try to deal with that, some of that overhang. But you've developed your, your own space. And I just think that's really effective. And that was something that I was trying to do and it's complicated, which was mm-hmm. how to develop my own voice you know, succeeding someone like Tim Russert when there's a combination of expectation and, and prominence. Um, uh, and that was, uh, you know, it worked well for a time. And then, and then there were just, you know, a, kind of a bunch of things happening at once where it didn't. Yeah, not to mention the fact that obviously as, as the cable news um, landscape exploded and, you know, there's so many different ways to get your news, of course, meet the press's ratings are going to go down. I mean, it's just like, that's inevitable. I mean, so, you know, that's going to happen no matter who takes it over when you look at the plethora of of, of shows that are out there. So, uh, in a way, you be, I mean, scapegoat is maybe too strong of a word, but I'm I'm also uh, interested in what you talk, because I watched some of your interviews that you did when you released your book, which, um, you know, came, I know, after you left NBC and your wife, right. I think, said to you at one point, you know, wh- 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 what do you believe? And I, I, it reminds me because my wife uh, is a Broadway singer and has been on Broadway and has, you know, got a, a great career singing and doing cabaret and writing for the New York Times, which she's been doing. But I remember it reminded me of she said to me once right before before we got married, which is over 20 years ago. She looked at me, and she said, who are you? You know, who are you? You know, like, like, what are you all about? It's kind of like what Beth said to you, right? Like, what, you know, what do you believe? And that was, as you said in some of your interviews, it's sort of the impetus for you to write that book, wasn't it? Right. And just to go on more of a religious journey, I mean, for me, I grew up a, a Jew in Southern California, cultural, secular, and for me to develop uh, faith and, and to return to my traditions and understand what it said about me and who I really wanted to be and and I think, you know, so I studied Torah with a scholar, and I've done this for about 15 years, um, and that was all part of, you know, best inspiration, and then I kind of took it from there. But my, my teacher, Eric, her name is Erica Brown, she always says to me, you know, what are you growing in your life? And so the role of being a parent is, uh, is paramount. The role of being a good spouse to a wife who's got a big career and has a lot, where there's a lot of demand, and right. understanding that you know, my career can take a, a, a backseat to that mm-hmm. and even thinking about, you know, what I want to do. So I, I think this question of who you are or what do you believe in is about, it kind of relates to your previous question, which is, you know, to chase stardom per se, you know, as opposed to 
working a craft or, you know, just hard work and developing over time, you know, the thought of kind of like, what am I really trying to build here and what's really impactful? Um, I don't think I thought enough about that. I thought Mm -hmm. about stuff stuff that was a lot more superficial. And my father, God bless him. I mean, he he passed away five years ago. He was a, a, a major inspiration to me. But he did push a lot about, you know, kind of not achievement, but ambition. He was he was amazing at cultivating ambition, but sometimes without the sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. So I I think a lot more about like, what 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 am I after? What's my purpose? What am I trying to grow? And uh, kind of to your wife's point, like, who am I? And the answer to that question is different today than it was. Mm When I was on IMIS, you know, in my, you know, in my mid twenties, that's a, that's a, it's a much different answer. We had some fun back in those days, though. I'm, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of have missed IMIS's voice through this whole last, you know, couple of years with Trump and with all the madness. Because he, what I, what I loved about being on his show, I was just a sports guy for you know a year and a half, but I just loved the the, the guests he had, people like you, and you know, just really respected um, people in the political world. And to me, that's what made his show so fascinating for so long. It was an amazing show, and the, and and to be on it, and to be able to handle him and the crew, and and look, let's be honest. I mean, you know, part of why he fell off the landscape was because of how offensive he was, and how that mm-hmm. crossed lines that were no longer tolerated, and and shouldn't have been tolerated even as long as they were. I think all of us made the mistake of kind of compartmentalizing and saying, "Oh, well, that's just him," and I don't partake in that stuff, and he he does that separate, and so you know, we we're, we're culpable in that sense, but he, but he was a great talent in terms of his ability to drive that show and, and create humor and kind of put you down and keep you on your toes. And, uh, I mean, the, the feedback I got, I'm sure you're the same. I mean, in New York or in new England, mm-hmm. I would often tell Russer like, Oh my gosh, I've gotten more feedback from that than anything else I've ever done. And he's like, well, that's too bad for you. <laughs> well, it was it was it was a fun run while it lasted. I'll take a little page out of the Imus book right now, if you'll indulge with me, um, David. Yeah. I, my my first big sponsor is My Pillow, by the way, for the program. And my, I, I don't know. I'm going to ask you this because you know you you obviously haven't been traveling as much as you normally do, but I travel all the time. You know, for work to go all these tennis tournaments. What's the most important thing for you when you check into a hotel when you get to your room? What give me two important things. Well, so I would say, um, yeah, just overall kind of cleanliness, poshness, yes. cleanliness, and, you know, number one, right? Yeah, and and the mattress, and yes, the pillow yeah, because the pillow. Right. I actually have a neck. I have some yep. neck um, arthritis because I'm yep. getting older, and so yeah, the pillow is for sure very important. Well, my pillow. Okay, you got to go to mypillow.com because right now, great gifts for the holidays. Premium my pillow, regularly sixty nine ninety eight. Now you can get it for twenty nine ninety eight. That's forty bucks off. Kings are just five dollars more, and I, I I can't wait to get back on the road and travel. I'm take. I started. They get, they threw me a bone, David. They sent me in my pillow. I ordered it online. I went to mypillow.com. <laughs> you know, I got a freebie out of it, so I was pumped. But I'm telling. Nice. And now you know I'm in my mid fifties. I'm a few years older than you. Sleep is even more important than even when I was a professional tennis player. So it's time to get it right now. $29.98 for the queen size premium my pillow go to mypillow.com click on the radio listener square unbelievable discounts do you have any pets david 
Do I have a pet? Yes, yeah. I have a dog. Okay, yeah. so you get the dog pillow too. I got the medium size. I have nice. a Yorkie for the dog. My girls love it. I have three daughters. I know you have three kids too. Um, here's what you got to do. Call 1-800-875-1023. That's 800-875-1023. Use the promo code COURT, as in the name of this podcast, Holding Court, which is just an absolute honor to have you on, David Gregory. So before I let you go, I got to ask you a couple more things. Number one, where where does where does Trump end up? And then what's what's what do you where are you going to be? Do you think in five years, in ten years, as you you know continue your unbelievable career, you're going to stay with CNN? What's your story? What what where do, how do you want to evolve in the next? Give, let's go Trump first, and then I want to finish with yeah. you. Well, I think Trump is not going anywhere. I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I, I think he he loves the limelight and he loves the following he has. So, so on the top rung, he could run again in, in 2024. Or he could say he's going to run to freeze the field and be, and be a kingmaker and then decide at the last minute not to do it. So I think he's going to continue to cultivate grievance and um, support his base and make you know, to kind of make mischief uh, for Biden, for Republicans, for Democrats. I think he's going to nurse all that grievance. The fact that he can't concede the election is just, uh, you know, is is evidence of that. Um, how potent he is, I, I think he's got all the potential in the world to be really uh, impactful. At the end of the day, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, what does he want? Does he want to redirect that toward um, starting his own news network, uh, or some other platform, uh, that's the answer I don't know yet. But I, I think he's, he's not going anywhere, for sure. Um, for myself, you know, I'm, I'm committed to CNN and, and enjoy the role that I have as a contributor. Um, so I like kind of getting my voice out there and, and, and thinking about these political questions, thinking about uh, questions of leadership. Now, I'm still very motivated by my own faith path and and you know, having an impact where I can in life kind of, you know, with regard to my kids and, um, you know, so I, I, I'm a little bit more open, you know, I mean, my mm-hmm. kids are, you know, I've got a, I've got an 18 year old and I've got 15 year old twins and I have twins I feel too. pretty immersed in are their you, life. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't, I don't know what's next after that. Right. Um, so that's a little bit of a question mark. And I will say this, I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, because of, of who I'm talking to, but you know, I keep saying like I just I want to keep I want to keep getting better at tennis, and it's something I love to to. Oh, you're just saying that because you're doing the podcast with me. You're just throwing me a bone here, David. Come on, no, no, but, <laughs> but I but I want to because I um I, I really do enjoy getting better, and it's funny I actually hurt my foot this summer, but it's because I had worked out so hard, and and, and uh, we spent summers on Nantucket, and I've got a pro up there I hit with who's really great, and I just want to keep. Um, you know, keep growing at that. And, and the thing I love about when, when, when you do matches, I mean, yeah, I love to talk, you know, about inside parts of the individual games, but the thing about tennis that I'm so fascinated by is the mental toughness mm-hmm. and how, how people get that and how they refine it and why that's such a difference maker. It's just, it's, uh, I, I never can get enough of that. I was very surprised to hear you say earlier in the podcast, David, that you didn't think of yourself as a good competitor because watching some of the old clips with, of you in the Bush <laughs> White House, I'm thinking, wait, this guy's, <laughs> right, right, right. this guy's a pit bull. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's a big difference, as you know, right? I mean, it's but how do you hold it together, you know, on the court and keep focused and not lose the focus? And, and um, yeah, that's to me, that's the inner game of tennis that I, I will, I'll be chasing forever. Well, one of the great things that has come to me through this pandemic are great. I mean, one of the things we've all tried to find things to do, the podcast for me has been one of them. But the other thing was actually this summer when we were able to open one of our clubs on Long Island, um, before we could open back here in, in Manhattan, uh, I started going out there and just teaching lessons, you know, because we had a lot of people that just, whether they were kids, adults, all different levels. So I ended up teaching um, a bunch of people that uh, are older than both of us or younger than us, you know, that just play more recreational yeah. tennis. And so to be able to do that and try to kind of help people like you're talking about for yourself has been a lot of fun and really rewarding because I admire people that or like you, who are very successful in what they do, and then come to tennis, which is an incredibly difficult game to master, right? To get even right. remotely decent at, you have to basically start from the time you could walk. Um, right. So I, I, so you have an open invitation, particularly since you've done this podcast. Now we're almost thirty minutes. I told you it's going to be twenty. Okay, you can come and take play with me anytime. Okay, get on the I'm train. Coming. I'm taking you up on that. I'm coming. That would be great. And by the way, I hear you. I hear your dog barking. He must know. Oh the my gosh. The my so pillow. Annoying. I apologize. No, no, no. He knows the my pillow thing is coming. You're going to order one of those for him. Okay. <laughs> right, right, right. right. He's excited. Uh, the one and only David Gray. Keep up the great work. I'll be watching you on CNN. I love when you come on Cuomo and put him, put him in his place. Um, you do an unbelievable job. So keep up the good work. Thanks, Ben. Have a great holiday, and thanks again for doing this. You too. My pleasure. Okay. David Gregory, everyone, on Holding Court. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. I'm telling you, whenever I end up going back on the road, which I hope is relatively soon, but probably won't be for this year's Australian Open, I can tell you, Whenever I head back on the road to travel, my pillow is coming with me. It's totally changed the way I sleep. Totally. I mean, I'm just so much more comfortable. Relax. I don't know what it is. Getting a little older, I feel like I need more sleep. I had COVID back in March. I, I feel like I've been sleeping like nine, 10 hours a night. But I'll tell you, since I got my pillow, and thanks to my friends there for supporting this podcast and sending me the stuff, absolutely changed my life. You got to try it. My pillow there's an absolute plethora of stuff you can order on the site okay all different my pillow products i got the mattress top i got as i said some of the towels the pillows are off the charts if you got a pet you'll love that too so here's the number to call 800-875-1023 that's 800-875-1023 and use the promo code court